This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, we are in week seven of our follow series. And if you're just joining us today, you're coming into the epilogue of what has been a really great seven chapter story that we've been looking at. And if I say something today that piques your interest and you think, boy, I'd like to know more, you can go to our website, newlifepetaluma.com. And as long as there's an internet, you can watch us online. That's not a commentary on anything. You could also, I'm two for two this morning. Uh, You can also download our app, which is in your program. You can also get our podcast, New Life Petaluma, and you can listen or watch each of these series. But for those of us who are brand new today, let me try to give you a 45-second recap of where we've been. And those of you who have been around the whole time are thinking, you could do it all in 45 seconds? Why does it take you 35 minutes every week? It's just a talent that God has given me. So set your timers, 45 seconds. Here's where we've been. We are on this journey of following Jesus. And here's what we learned in week one. This is for everybody. Everybody's invited to follow Jesus. And the invitation is to nothing more or nothing less than a relationship with God himself. That being a sinner or having this, what we said is a soul sickness that tends to eat us from the inside and hurt relationships is a prerequisite to following. Every one of us has it. Every one of us has gone to bed and thought to ourselves, I can't believe I did that or said that or went there or looked at it. That is this sickness inside of us. And Jesus says that he came to be a doctor to heal us of this sickness. We said that doubts are normal and they are to be expected. And the goal of following is this big word called faith, which is trusting God enough to try. It's saying to God, God, I have just enough respect for you that I will try this thing you're saying, even if it doesn't perfectly make sense, even if I don't understand everything. And the goal of that faith is that it would overwhelm our fears, that we would over time following Jesus become fearless, or at the very least, we would fear a little bit less. And we said that sometime in our following journey, it's going to cost us. That there's going to be somewhere where we have to say no to something that we want so that we can say yes to something that we ultimately want more. And it's going to feel like death in that moment, but it's going to bring life, life that we really, really want. We talked about the fact that you can tell a Jesus follower by what they wear. And last week we talked about the reality that following Jesus makes you a great leader. And Jesus defines great as someone who leverages any authority you have for the sake of those under your authority. And that reality has never been in more stark contrast than in the last quarter of this year, when over and over again, the abuse of leadership is coming out. And we see that when people who have all the authority leverage that for themselves, the pain that it's causing around our world. But Jesus followers are invited to leverage our authority for the sake of those under our authority, by asking this one question, what can I do to help? And I invited you last week, ask that question once a day. Ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask someone at work, ask someone above you on the org chart, ask someone below you on the org chart. It will change your leadership. And as we wrap up this series, I want to talk about the fact that every one of us, at some point in our following journey, will be tempted to unfollow Jesus. There will come a moment, we're going to talk about where these moments usually fall, but there will come a moment, maybe there already has, maybe you're back in church right now after 10 years or 15 years or 30 years because you had this moment, but there will come a moment for every one of us where we will be tempted to unfollow, 
to say, I'm done, I'm through, I'm out. But before you do, you owe it to yourself to ask one question. And asking this one question could save us from so much needless heartache and pain and regret. And we find the question in this wonderful biography of Jesus' life called the Book of John, when a few of his closest friends are grappling with this question, should we unfollow Jesus? Let me give you the backstory because we're not going to be able to read this whole story. It's too big. I'm going to give us a flyover this morning. You can go back and read it this week as you're getting ready for Christmas. But the backstory is that Jesus has just done this miracle. He fed over 5,000 people with a little bit of bread and a couple of fish. And the people are so excited about it that they want to make Jesus their king. And when they say king, they think a ruler who's going to overthrow the Romans. The Romans were in power over the Jewish people, and they're expecting this king to come and topple the structure and take over and become the new ruler and king. But Jesus says, I didn't come here to topple the empire. I came here to transform your life. And so they're gathering around him trying to make him king. And Jesus gets into a boat, and he goes across a lake called the Sea of Galilee to the city called Capernaum. And people realize he's gone, that he's snuck away, and they get in boats, and they begin to follow him. And they get to the other side, and they begin to taunt Jesus, trying to get him to do another miracle. Do a miracle. Do a miracle. Prove yourself to us. Show us that you're the king. And Jesus says to them, I'm not going to do a miracle but I'm going to tell you a story. And he begins to preach a sermon that is maybe the most bizarre sermon you will have ever heard. And if I got up and preached this, you would run out the doors never to come back. But Jesus can do it because Jesus is unique. He's definitely not me. And Jesus says, you know how I just fed you with bread? He uses an analogy. He says, just like I have fed you with bread. God wants to nourish you as well. And here's what he says, and we're going to pick it up in John chapter 6, verse 45, verse 54. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then in verse 54, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last days. And if you're thinking, what on earth did I just walk into? Bear with us. They were thinking the exact same thing. He says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna, which in the Old Testament, when God's people were wandering around in the desert— God provided this miraculous bread-like substance, but they didn't know what it was, so they called it manna, which means, what is it? I don't know. Good name. And so they eat it every day, and God provides for them. He gave them manna, and they lived, but eventually they died. Jesus says, but whoever feeds on me, on this bread, will live forever. He said this while he was teaching at a a synagogue or a church, a gathering in Capernaum. Now, at this point, parents were ushering their kids out of the synagogue, saying, plug your ears, this is weird, this is too much. Remember, Jesus is not, he's not being literal, he's using an analogy. I fed you bread, God gives you bread 
for here. The closest 12 are watching everyone start to run out of the synagogue. Honestly, we're going to see people just started to go and go and go. And his 12 closest followers begin thinking to themselves, maybe we should go too. We like the miracles. We like the food. We like the fanfare. But this is getting a little bit too weird. So in verse 60, it says, On hearing this, many disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? We like the food. We like the other stuff you said. This is getting really weird. And from that time, many of his disciples, and this is the whole gathering of people, his followers, turned back and no longer followed him. And in the original language, those two phrases, turned back and no longer followed, means they made a decisive choice right there that was final. There was no wondering. There was no guessing. They said, in that moment, that's it. He's crossed the line. We're never coming back. Friends, I've had nightmares like this. In fact, every year, somewhere in the week leading up to Christmas, I have almost the same nightmare. That I walk out on stage, and I say something, or I walk out on stage, and it's like that thing you had when you were a little kid, when you showed up to class and you realized, oh my goodness, I'm only in my underwear. I have one of these dreams every year. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> that I come out on stage, and I say something, and you guys all, all get up, including my wife, get up and walk out. And it's always right before Christmas, and it's always right before Easter. But it's never happened, thank goodness, but it happened to Jesus. He gives this teaching, and everybody gets up and walks away. And his disciples are, are looking around, these 12 followers, like, what on earth is happening? Jesus is losing the crowd. And his 12 are listening and they're watching, and they think to themselves, maybe we should just sneak out. No one will know. The crowd's big enough. There's hundreds of people here. No one will know if I just sneak out. But here's the crazy thing about Jesus. Jesus always knew what people were thinking. And so right in the middle of his sermon, he stops, and he looks at the 12, and he says, you're not going to leave too, are you? See, you and I find ourselves in one of these moments, at some point in our life, we will find ourselves at a place where we'll be tempted to think, I should just sneak out. No one will know. You might have even tested, tested it and said, maybe I'll just leave for a month or two and see if anybody calls me. And then no one called, and you thought, see, nobody would even know if I left. At some point in our journey, every one of us will be considering unfollowing Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. You won't consider unfollowing Jesus because all of a sudden you begin to believe that the things he says about himself aren't true. Almost none of us does. Almost none of us wakes up one morning of following, after following for years and says, you know what? I just don't think it's true. There's so much historical evidence that Jesus lived, that he was crucified that he died from his crucifixion, that he was buried, and that he rose again. There's so much evidence, actual evidence, that it takes more faith not to believe in Jesus than it does to believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
So very few of us leave because all of a sudden we come to think this just isn't true. So why do we leave? Why do we consider unfollowing? In our experience, it falls in three categories. One of the biggest times we're considering unfollowing Jesus is when we go through times of transition. High school to college is a black hole for most people. High school into college, college into the world after college are two of the biggest places where statistically people stop following Jesus. Other transitions, from single to married, we stop following Jesus. And and it's not an active choice. But in times of change, things are changing. I remember being a freshman in college, and I honestly, when I left home, I believe I had an 1130 curfew as an 18-year-old leaving. I think it was 10 o'clock, until I graduated high school, and then 11.30 after that, it was the 90s. And my parents knew nothing good would ever come for me after 10 o'clock. And I got to college, and all of a sudden, I could stay up as late as I wanted to, and I would stay out till 2, 3 in the morning. I was like a vampire. And then I would go, I would sleep in till 1 or 2 in the afternoon. Guess what? There weren't a lot of church services happening at 3 in the afternoon. It wasn't that I didn't want to follow Jesus. It was that there was nothing to go to. I was in a transition, single to married, We're single, we wake up, we grab some coffee, we grab a Pop-Tart, we head to church. We're married and we wake up and all we want to do for the first hour of being awake is just stare at each other. Look at you, look at you. Yeah, look at me. No, look at you. Oh, I could just bask in the warmth of our love forever. Who needs the heater on this cold winter's day? We have our love. It's not that you don't want to go to church. It's not that you don't want to follow, but this love is so new and so rich. And the one who brought us to this love, we kind of forget about him because we're in love. How about this? You get a new kid. Here's what happens with new kids. New kids like being new. They don't want to waste their lives sleeping. So they stay up all night long. In two-hour cycles, they think, wow, this world is crazy. I like it out here. And they wake you up all night. So you wake up at nine o'clock and you think, oh, dear Lord, I just need to go to bed again. And so they go for a nap and you go for a nap. And it's not that we want to unfollow, but in times of transition, it could be a job change. It could be moving. Listen, moving to a new community, it's hard to find a church. I can't tell you the amount of us who I talk to. And I say, what brought you to new life? They say, well, we moved here and we wanted to find a church. I said, oh, that's fantastic. When did you move? About a year ago. Because it's hard to find a church. It's intimidating to walk into a faith community for the first time. Even as a follower of Jesus, let alone someone who is seeking their faith, which is why we work tirelessly to create environments where everyone is welcome to come and experience Jesus. But times of job transition, new town, new season of life, following just falls off the radar. And then we get to Christmas, or we get to Easter, and we think, oh, I should probably probably go check out church. How about this? When we come to a moment where Jesus invites us to deny ourselves. So in times of transition, I would say in times of temptation, I said a few weeks ago, there are moments when Jesus says to us, I want you to say no to your wants, your hopes, your dreams for your life, so that you can say yes to my wants and my hopes and my dreams for your life. Because Jesus would say, my hopes and dreams and wants for you are ultimately better 
than yours. But we get into these moments where Jesus invites us to deny ourself. And they are never neutral moments. They are always catalyzing moments that take us either deeper into following or take us one step into unfollowing. The two biggest catalyzing moments that I see in this world are marriage and money. Marriage and money. Jesus has some very strong things to say about marriage, about staying in it when it's hard, about serving your spouse when they don't deserve it, about loving them when they don't seem lovable. Why? Because Jesus says, I loved you when you were not lovable. And he calls us to these moments to deny ourselves for the sake of the person we've committed our life to. And if we say, okay, I'm going to do it, it cements something in our followership. But if we say, I just can't do it, it's too hard. It's unfair. I don't want to. Then we accidentally take a step away towards unfollowing. Money is the same thing. Jesus has all kinds of things to say about money, but at the heart of it is a heart of generosity. Jesus would say, I have given generously for you to the point of even giving my life. And I want you to be a person who lives and gives generously, who is open-handed. And so at some point, all of us come to a, a place where we're confronted with our own generosity, and we either choose to say, yes, God, I will surrender my rights to keep it all for myself for the sake of giving back to you, or I will hold it. And it's never a neutral moment. It's just not it either catalyzes our following or it moves us towards unfollowing. Those are just two, but there are so many catalyzing moments where God would say, do you trust me enough to deny yourself for the sake of me? And the third one is this. One of the main times that we consider unfollowing is when we hit a difficult season. It could be a diagnosis, it could be a death, it could be a defeat, it could be a financial loss, it could be that you've been praying like crazy for something to happen, and six months turned into a year, and a year turned into two, and two turned into five, and now it's been ten years, and you've been praying for this thing, and God doesn't seem to be answering. And it's a difficult season. Just this week, I had two interactions of people whom I love deeply in our community, who love God, who are following God, who are walking in a difficult season. And difficult seasons are never neutral moments either. They are always catalyzing. Have you ever noticed that some people walk through a difficult season and they come out on the other end more sure of God's faithfulness than ever before? And other people walk through a difficult season and on the end of it, they unfollow. Because in times of transition, in times of temptation, and in times of tragedy, we are constantly, constantly pulled one way or another, and we will be tempted to unfollow Jesus. And so Jesus pauses, and he asks the 12, are you going to leave too? And Peter steps up. 
Now, Peter, if you're brand new, Peter's kind of the spokesperson of the group. Peter always spoke first, but he was hit and miss. Sometimes really good, sometimes uh, not so good. And you're just sitting there. If you've ever been in a room with someone who's, who's not overly emotionally intelligent and they start to talk and you just wonder, what are they going to say? That's Peter. So Peter gets up to talk and the other 11 are like, ah. but he's brilliant this time. He looked at Jesus and he said to him, in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He says, yeah, we kind of want to go. Yeah, now seems like a good time to unfollow. Everyone around is unfollowing right now. But where are we going to go? Peter realized something that we should realize, which is this. When we choose to unfollow Jesus, we are choosing to follow someone or something else. We all follow someone. We all follow something. We all have some philosophy or person that guides our lives. When we unfollow Jesus, we are choosing to follow someone else. And the question is, if not you, who? If not this, then what? And this is the issue for you and me, because there will be times in our following where it is hard to follow, where it is unpopular to follow. There will be seasons in our life where following means we have to say no to something that we desperately want, something that we think that we deserve for the sake of something that God wants, not from us, but for us even more. But Peter would say to me and would say to you, before you walk away, you owe it to yourself to ask the question, to whom shall I go? Because when you walk away from Jesus, you are walking towards something. And then he gives this thought process. He says, Jesus, you're offering eternal life. Who can I go to who's offering that? Jesus, no one else has invited me into a grander story of God. No one else has invited me into a vision for myself, my family, our community, and our world that is big and beautiful and bold. Jesus, who else is offering what you're offering? Who else is offering me a relationship with the God who created everything? To whom shall I go? Friends, we've been invited to follow the Savior of the world. Who else is offering that? What other philosophy is offering that? We've been invited to follow the one who has the answer to the soul sickness that crumbles people and communities and cultures. Who else is offering a solution to that problem? Peter goes on to say, we have come to believe, and you can insert the word trust. We've come to trust 
and to know. And that word know in the original language is really interesting. It means to know by experience. He says, we've come to trust you, so we began to follow. And the more we followed, the more we began to experience that you are the Holy One of God. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, we've seen too much. We've heard too much. We've experienced too much to unfollow. To whom shall we go? And this is a big one for us because there will be times of transition in our lives. Some transition will be good. Some transition will be bad. There will be times of temptation in our life where God invites us to something that just seems too crazy, too big, too hard, unfair. There will be times of trouble in our lives. I don't want it for us. It's the reality of this world. We will have seasons in our life where pain feels crippling. We will have seasons in life where we feel like we're on top of the world, and we'll have seasons in life where we feel like the world is on top of us. And in those moments, we owe it to ourselves to ask the question, to whom shall we go? Because those moments always create questions, don't they? I remember in my freshman year of college, in my English class, we read this ancient narrative called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Has anyone else nerded out on that? Just me? Yeah. Okay. It's an ancient narrative, and it has similarities to stories in the Old Testament of the Bible. And my English professor alluded to the fact, if not directly said, this is why you can't trust the Bible, because all these ancient stories are the same. Now, she was inaccurate in her assessment. She was. Now, if you're like me and you had a freshman lit professor or an English professor say to you, you can't trust the Bible, here's what I need you to know about your freshman English professor. They are smarter than you. That's why they're the teacher. They are smarter than you, but they're not necessarily writer than you. They are smarter than you, but they're not necessarily wiser than you. They just happen to be smarter than you. So when you get to college or you get to a coworker who asks you a question and you don't know the answer, the fact that you don't know the answer does not mean that there is not an answer. It just means that you don't know the answer yet. Times of transition and trouble and temptation always raise up questions. But if you could interview Peter, say, Peter, it doesn't look good for you right now. Everyone's falling away. You're going to be left here holding the bag. Peter, do you know what's going to happen? Peter would say no. Peter, Jesus is saying things about himself that doesn't look good for him, and it doesn't look good for you either. You're going to be on the outs with all of the religious elite. Should you unfollow? Peter would say no. Peter, you've got questions about this teaching that Jesus just gave. It seems really hard and weird and bizarre. Should you unfollow? Peter would say no. Just because I have questions that I don't have the answers to does not mean that there are not answers. It just means I don't have the answers yet. Peter, you got thrown in jail. Peter, they're about to take your life. Peter, things are getting really, really hard. 
Is now the time to unfollow? And Peter would say, no, I'd rather live for something great than die for nothing at all. And who else has invited me into this great story? In times of transition, in times of temptation, in times of trouble, it will be natural to ask questions. One of those questions that you'll be tempted to ask is, should I just unfollow? Is this worth it? And here's what I would say. Once you've asked all the questions, it's time to consider the options. If not Jesus, who? If not Christianity, what? To whom shall I? Let's pray. God, we're a community of people who is walking through life following you. And as we follow you, it is so natural and normal that we will have times of transition. In fact, you designed us to be people who experience transition. Life is about growth and development Some transition is really good. Some transition is really hard. Some we would say is really bad. God, as we walk through life, we're going to have times of temptation where it will seem easier to walk away than it is to stay. Where it will seem unfair to do the thing that you are inviting us to do. And Jesus, we are a community of faith Some of us right now are. Every one of us will experience trouble. And it will be painful, and it will feel in those moments like the world is on top of us. We'll be tempted to ask, Jesus, if you're here, then why do I feel so alone? In those moments, would you help us remember that pain and heartache is a direct result to the sin and brokenness of this world. And it's the very reason why you came. Help us to remember that just because you seem distant doesn't mean you are distant. And help this question to reorient us back to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.